Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's the NFL. I mean, you credit these guys. You know, there's a little toughness to this league. Um, you know, I keep saying it. There's that fine line between a groove and a rut. You know, and you gotta um, you gotta bow up a little bit, and uh, and you gotta demand it of each other at practice during the week. You know, you win during the week, and and I felt like we've been practicing during the week better, a lot better. And uh, if you do that, you demand that of each other, then Sundays become a little bit um, less chaotic. A couple of big wins for the Denver Broncos. They beat the Chiefs two weeks ago. They had their bye, and then they beat the Bills, two of the elite teams supposedly in the AFC. The Chiefs still elite at 7-2, and two, although they are not what they've been in past years, as evidenced by the fact that they didn't just steamroll over the Denver Broncos. But here are the Broncos now at 4-5. and five. It feels like the 70-point game against Miami was 70 years ago. It just shows you how much things change over the course of an NFL season. Teams get better, teams get worse. Defenses mm-hmm. get better, defenses get worse. The Broncos are on the right track, but the problem, Miles, as I mentioned on our way out from the last segment, there are 11 teams in the AFC at or above 500. The Broncos are one of the five teams below 500. They're going to have to, and I don't know, I like in the abstract, if you tell me, if I'm a Broncos fan, Oh, we beat the Chiefs and Bills back-to-back week 8 and week 10. Hey, playoffs, here we come. Now it's like, man, I, they're still going to have to thread a hell of a needle to even have a chance. There's too many teams to jump over to get themselves in position. But, but hey, it's great because it lays the foundation for next year. All that talk about Russell Wilson yes. being out after this year, that's gone now. Russell Wilson is better. He moves better. He had some last night, like the processing. We talk so much about processing now. He was doing those little flip passes to Samaj Piran. He pulls the ball down and runs like he did back in Seattle. 
He's noticeably thinner this year. That was something Troy Aikman said last night. It's been obvious all year long. It's their first look at him on Monday Night Football. But Russell Wilson is a different guy than he was last year. And I like the quote that he gave. I think Lisa Salters was saying this during the game, that he understands last year was bad. But if he plays 20 years in the NFL and he has one bad year, he can take it. I like that too. You know, I I think it's interesting that Wilson was able to make those kind of scat plays that we saw so often when he was with the Seattle Seahawks, kind of at what the proverbially height of his powers, right? Where he's able to evade the rush. He's able to do different things. And then he just lets the ball go. And then you're like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like when he flips it, you know, to Samaje Piran and it's like, oh, that actually worked out very well. You really knew what you were doing right there. And so I think that those things are encouraging. I'm not going crazy over it because again, like the 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 uh, Broncos got too many B teams and things in my head right now. Let me try this again. The Broncos finished that game with a turnover margin of plus three, and you only end up with 24 points. That's not great. You know, your starting field position was about your own 40, your own 42, and you only end up with 24 points. That's not great. You know, Russell Wilson's air yards per attempt, something around three and a half yards. That's also not that great. But when you do those things and you're still winning, I, you can live with that, especially as you're kind of building things up as a program with Sean Payton as your head coach. You can tell that they're starting to adapt to his personality. They're starting to take on what he really wants his football team to look like. And that is very encouraging for the Broncos heading down the stretch. Russell Wilson completed 24 of 29 passes last night. Now, he only had 193 yards. And in that final drive, just as it was starting, the graphic on the screen for ESPN said that he was averaging 3.4 air yards per attempt, the lowest of his career. Or was it 3.4 yards per attempt? I need to do the math. 29 throws, 193 yards. That's not air yards. Yeah, it's air yards. 3.4 was the lowest of his career. Now, I don't know how that changed based on the last drive. It would have changed dramatically if – the ball to Jerry Judy had been caught, but but again, he's got all well, these guys in his face. He just had to get rid of it. I, I think that he's moving in the right direction, clearly in the right direction. Right, it still worked out, but yeah. my point is it yeah. would have driven up that average considerably if he had gotten the Fair ball enough. out in front of Jerry Judy, but he had all those guys in his face, and he had just been swallowed up whole. I mean, that play before we talked to it, I mean, he just was gone. Like, like he didn't even have a chance to do anything. He just disappeared. So... Um, he hasn't disappeared by way of his relevance to the Broncos and the NFL. It was very popular last year. For and and I remember talking about it on this show. Like, like everybody was dumping on Russell Wilson. Old stupid petty grudges were coming to the fore. Anything and everything about Russell Wilson last year. It was open season because he finally had a bad year. But I got to give him credit. I got to give Sean Payton credit. And the fact Absolutely. that it started so poorly. And they've turned it around. These two wins back-to-back. I mean, there was a point after that Miami loss, I'm thinking, would Greg Penner, the owner of the Broncos, fire Sean Payton after one year and just buy out the balance of his contract? They're the richest ownership group in the NFL by far. And these folks who run Walmart are ruthless. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. They don't screw around. There's a problem. This is the difference between the Bills and the Broncos. And this is why Broncos fans should be very happy about this. And I'm trying not to be disrespectful to Terry Pagula in saying this, but oh boy, there are two types of owners. 
for these purposes. There's the owner that will just sit there and not do anything. When something needs to be done, just stay the course. This is fine. Is it a dog drinking coffee in yes. the burning room? Is yes. it a dog? This yes. is fine. Is a, this is fine. This yes. is a perfectly acceptable state of affairs. And and Greg Penner, they're not going to mess around. Now, they made their fortune in a way that the scoreboard tracks dollars and cents. How much money are we making? With razor-thin margins, selling really cheap crap for razor-thin margins over and over and over again, how do we make billions? And that family, the Walton family, which is the core of this, Rob Walton initially was the owner of the team. Now it's Greg Penner, the son-in-law of Rob Walton, married to Kerry Walton Penner. Billionaires out the wazoo in the Walton family. Wildly successful business that literally started as a mom-and-pop operation. They didn't get there by ignoring problems. They didn't get there by, you know what, something's not going right here. Well, uh, it'll get better. Why? Uh, Because we've done it before. (laughs) That mindset will never get through. They won't even get to the parking lot, never mind the front door. It's not even getting in the zip code of the Denver Broncos. That's where Broncos fans need to be most excited. Regardless of what happens this year, where things are going is a sign that, number one, it's working, and number two, you've got an ownership group that isn't going to screw around. And I guarantee you, if Sean Payton had 12 guys on the field to attempt to block the field goal that ultimately was missed, and then there was a flag, and then it was made, Greg Penner would already have had a full conversation in an effort to examine exactly who was to blame, why it happened, and how we can be 100% sure it will never, ever, ever, ever happen again. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I mean, that's what good owners who are not meddling owners tend to do those kinds of things, right? They have the tough conversations, um, and they make sure that problems don't arise again. And sometimes they do it without suggesting what the solution is. I think that's what the best owners do. They diagnose the problem and they get their football people to actually solve the problem as opposed to solving it themselves or also doing the who will rid me of this meddlesome priest thing unless they absolutely don't like what's going on on the field. So that's one thing. But if we're handing out credit, we also have to credit Vance Joseph for what he's done with that defense. I mean, when you have a game that ends up 70 to 20, and you've got the Miami Dolphins running wild and you can't tackle anybody and you can't really do anything. And then you win back-to-back games against the Chiefs and the Bills. I mean, I know Russell Wilson last night after that game was saying, oh, everybody was talking stuff about our defense, blah, blah, blah. Like, bro, when you give up 70 points, like, yes. everybody's going to talk bad yes, about Yes, we defense, were. Okay? Yes. Like, yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize for absolutely nothing because we reacted to what we saw. And what we <laughs> saw, as you eloquently put things last week, Mike, was caca. That, last night, that was not caca. <laughs> that was the opposite of that. What they've done against the Chiefs and the Bills where they're picking up turnovers like this, this is good stuff. This is something that you can build upon going forward. So I got to give Vance Joseph a lot of credit for the way that he has turned that unit around because they look so much better than they did early on in the season. I am closing in on 58.5 years of age, and I hope I am never too old to think caca isn't funny. (laughs) It's fun to say. It's fun to hear. It makes me smile. It makes me laugh. 
Uh, it also takes me back to being a kid because that's what my mom always called it. So, all right. All right. Um, God, I had a great thought there. Oh, but to, to piggyback on your point, it always drives me crazy when teams use as some sort of a rallying cry the fact that the rest of us notice something obvious. Like, yeah. how dare you notice this giant, you know, piece of broccoli that's stuck to my chin? How dare you see it? Right? How dare you point out the fact that we're horrible? How dare you? <laughs> right. So, uh, but they're better. Vance Joseph, quite possibly having the time of his life after all in Denver. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see where the Broncos go from here. And hey, this Sunday night game, a lot of people, a lot of people, wringing their hands and gnashing their teeth about Vikings at Broncos staying put on Sunday night football. And folks, as we get deeper into the season, I think we're going to see more explanations publicly from reports and other resources as to how the NFL painted itself into a corner with this ability to flex Sunday night, Thursday night, and Monday night. There's rules to protect Fox and CBS games that are going to make it very hard, very hard when it comes to improving primetime games late in the season. But this is one that need to be improved. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm wearing my Josh Dobbs jersey under this hoodie. I'm not. But I did wear it yesterday on the show, and I did wear it under my salute to service hoodie on the way home yesterday. But, but, uh, you got the Vikings who have won five in a row, and you've got the Broncos who are just beating the Chiefs and the Bills. And it's Denver, it's nighttime, maybe it'll snow, who knows? This time of year, you never know. It's going to be 70 degrees one day, it's going to be five feet of snow the next day. Who knows what's going to happen Sunday night? And whatever the forecast says for now, forget about it. It'll change by Sunday night. So, this has the potential to be a fun game, a fun, exciting game. Very impactful for the Vikings. And if the Broncos pull themselves to 500 to join the 11 other teams, inevitably some of them will drop under 500 based upon what happens this weekend. Maybe the Broncos springboard their way back into it. But I will say this. Here's where the Broncos need to be on guard. Because, Miles, it was week 10 last year in Buffalo. Same as this year. Week 10. Crazy, nutty game. Even nuttier than last night, really. It just wasn't in prime time, so it didn't resonate the same way last night's game will. Vikings win that game somehow, somehow win that game. And next week, you know, and that was the, that was the Kirko Chains thing. That was the whole yeah. deal. You know, every, euphoria in Minnesota. My son and two of his friends went to the game. Heroes welcome. That new stadium louder than it had ever been. And the Cowboys beat them 40-3. to because yeah. there's a letdown effect here. And I think Sean Payton is smart enough. He's the guy that worries about everything. He's the guy that worries about everything. He's going to be beating the hell out of them this week to make sure they don't have a letdown on Sunday night. And they're in the same spot the Bills are in. you got five days. you got five days. You had to fly home mm -hmm. last night. You're waking up this morning. You're feeling great about what you did. And now here comes the hottest team in the NFL that's won five in a row. So a uh, great game on Sunday night and great opportunity for – the Broncos, to further prove to all of us that it is a new day. And they've quickly, unlike the Bills, who have no idea how to get themselves out of their rut, the Broncos were in a far worse rut as yeah. of week three. That was as bad as it gets. And look at where they are now. It's a testament to the organization. It's a testament to Sean Payton. It's a testament to Russell Wilson, Vance Joseph. Do your job one day at a time. 
And the next thing you know, the team that everyone was saying stinks is going to be looking back at everyone else saying, how are we doing now? All right, how are we doing now? we got 45 minutes left, and we only have five segments to get through. We're going to take a break. We'll have more PFT Live after this, including at some point a discussion about a very interesting play last night that had shades of that Cowboys-Eagles play we talked so much about last week. That's coming up at some point. Don't miss it. Stick around. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. The Patriots and Bill Belichick have to be very happy about what happened last night because it has pushed from the top of the stack the fire that is raging in Foxborough with the Patriots organization. When the power rankings for this week debut later today, the Patriots are back at number 32. They are the worst of the worst right now. So Mac Jones, who was benched late for a final drive that included a fake spike that Bailey Zappi probably never even practiced, Bill Belichick was asked today if Mac Jones is still the team's starting quarterback. Said Belichick, we have a lot of things to work on this week as a team. We'll work through those. That is what we are going to do this week. And the best news for Belichick, we're in to Tuesday of bye week. If he was going to be fired, I think he'd already be gone. Barring some sort of a of a knockdown drag out with Robert Kraft that might happen at one Patriot place today. Who knows? Uh, as someone who likes a good story, hey, I would not complain if there's some sort of a blow up. And Belichick storms out or is asked to leave. And and it's just basically Stephon Diggs all over again. But he's there. And he'll be there for the rest of the season. They put they put the word out Sunday, Miles. And and you know, when a sports league owns a media outlet and the Patriots are very influential in the overall media operation, they have a platform to get the word out. And the word is we're holding on to Bill Belichick until the end of the season. If you want him next year, you got to make a deal with us. And as a practical matter, even though it turns the rules on its head and it defies the the objectives for a fair and open and diverse search, what's going to happen behind the scenes, anyone that is thinking about trying to hire Belichick next year is going to contact the Patriots before we get to the end of the season and try to work something out. They'll initiate the formal process later after they've done their full search. But that's the message. If it's the Commanders, if it's the Buccaneers, whoever is thinking, we want Bill Belichick next year, you got to go through the Patriots, you're going to have to compensate them, and he's going to be there, I believe, firmly through the end of the year. I think he should be there through the end of the year. I don't... I love greatness, Mike. Like, it's one of the things that drew me to wanting to be a part of sports media. I just... I love watching greatness when the Patriots were trying to go undefeated in 2007. I don't know. That's actually a great question. It's you specifically, yeah. not the rest of the NBC team. And I want to make that clear right. that really right. like, you know, yeah. uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. you opened that door. I just kicked it down. The thing that like kind of bothers me about this is it's like, man, when greatness leaves, it just goes. And it's tough to watch this, but at the same time, it's like, and this is just the way it is now. What really has Bill Belichick done as a personnel man and also as the head coach since 2018 when they won the worst Super Bowl of all time, you know, for Tom Brady, right? 2019, I, we know now that Tom Brady was basically keeping that team afloat with, you know, glue sticks and duct tape and made them like willed them somehow into the wild card round where it didn't look good against the Tennessee Titans. Right. Because then he goes to Tampa Bay and immediately wins the Super Bowl. So Brady still had it, but that 2019 team was not good. 
2020 team, Cam Newton and whatever was going on there like that. And that was COVID year. And I understand that that was weird too, but like that wasn't very good. You go to 2021 and Mac Jones looks like there may be something there, but replacing a Josh McDaniels with the Frankenstein monster of Joe judge and Matt Patricia, what the, what the hell was that? And now it's just, it's gone so far off the rails. It's like the whole grunty stuff and opening the press conference with moving the mic down and, you know, this non-answer about Mac Jones. I understand like you don't, the players aren't necessarily in the building on the bye week and like, you don't want to necessarily make that quarterback announcement right now. I, I, I get it, but like, there's just, there's too many things right now, Mike, where I look at the, the team as a whole, as Patriots as a whole. And like, there's little stuff like not having a punt returner back there in the middle of the game. And you're instead trying to block a like, what are you doing? Nobody would ever expect to see a Bill Belichick team do that. So if we're going to go to the end of the season and play this out and yeah, like there's, there's no way that Bill Belichick should be back next year at this point. Like I'm, I don't think I'm talking at a turn there, but if you're another organization, what exactly has Bill Belichick done in the last few years that makes you say, this is the person that I want piloting my franchise for the next however many years. Like, real talk, like, I don't, I, even as a fan, like, I, I don't know if I would want that. This is just, it's not a good situation. And that's why it's like, for me, where it's like, you know, this is one of the most accomplished people we've ever seen in football. But going forward, it's kind of like, has this run its course? I, I feel like it has. I'm not a big fan of this idea that Bill Belichick is owed some sort of deference and reverence because of what he's done, because he would never, ever give that deference and reverence to a player who has lost his highest level of skill to the point where we need to make a change. It's interchangeable parts all the time with the players. The standard that he would apply to any player is being applied to him. It is perfectly fair, and what he did is great, and he's going to go into the Hall of Fame – the first time he's up for enshrinement, and he's had a great career. But under the standard that he would apply to a player, if we apply that standard to him as a coach, it's over in New England. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Miles. You assume that reasonable people are running these other teams who would articulate their options and assess Bill Belichick the way you just did. Let's not assume that to be the case. Dysfunctional teams are out there. Bad ownership groups are out there. There are ownership groups out there that don't care about winning. We're going to lose anyway. Let's have a name that gets people to show up. Let's get games in prime time. Even if it's this morbid curiosity of can Bill Belichick turn it around? You put Bill Belichick on the Patriots, or the the Buccaneers, excuse me. We did that with Tom Brady. God, I hope we don't have to do that again with Bill Belichick, oh. we have to remember Patriots versus Buccaneers. But I'm telling you, JoeBucksFan.com, Ira Kaufman, who's been covering the Bucks forever, he's a firm believer the Buccaneers are going to be in play for Belichick. Stadium was half empty on Sunday between the Bucs and the Titans. They've lost all their sizzle with Brady gone. Sizzle returns to a certain extent if they can get Belichick. They've always chased big names. They asked yeah. Belichick for his recommendation when they hired Greg Schiano. That should disqualify Belichick, frankly. But again, we're talking about dysfunctional teams. So somebody out there is going to want him. And the fact that they haven't fired him, I think they already know there's going to be somebody who wants him. I don't know that. But at this point, 
I, I, I'm a firm believer. If you know what you're going to do at the end of the season, do it now. Give Gerard Mayo seven games. See what he can do. What's the harm if you're going to get rid of Belichick after the season anyway? They're holding on to him because they think they're going to get something for him, and then they're going to move on after the season, and somebody out there is going to give him that shot. And with a quarterback, you know, if the Chargers would hire him, who knows? That defensive mastermind looks a lot more potent when he's got a quarterback that can move the ball. We need to take a break. When we return, I want to go back to something that happened last night that has tentacles toward the Cowboys-Eagles play that we spent a lot of time discussing last week. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Last night in the Bills-Broncos game, a key moment on the drive that put the Broncos up 21-15. They would have been relegated either to a fourth and four opportunity to keep the drive alive or a field goal that might have been missed. Who knows? Regardless, third and four from the 17 with 7.45 to play. Russell Wilson throws the ball to Cameron Sutton. Courtland. Sutton catches it. Cortland Sutton. Cameron Sutton. Cortland Sutton. Sorry, Cortland. So he cut. He catches it. He's kind of going to the ground. They ruled that his forward progress was stopped. It's... This, I don't think it was a catch. You're Miles. struggling with this. I don't one. think it was a catch. Really? So I don't. When, when well, I was... because here's why I'm struggling with it. Because the rule book is in conflict on these two points. This goes back to what happened last Sunday, Week Nine, Cowboys Eagles. Luke Schoonemaker yeah. has the ball at the goal line. His knees down while he has two hands on it, and he's being contacted. The NFL's position is the play's over at that point. But if you're going to the ground, you have to hold on to the ball through going to the ground. The play's not over until the pass is incomplete. There's the play from last week. Going to the ground. Now, in this case, he's more clearly going to the ground. Here's why I'm struggling. Is Cortland mm -hmm. Sutton going to the ground? He's got two feet down. He's being pulled down to the ground. 
It's it. Can we show the Cortland Sutton catch again or non-catch? You could make the argument he's completed the act because he has the second foot down. But the second, remember, it's you have to have a third foot or an act common to the game or enough time to perform an act common to the game. And I, yeah. I think under these circumstances, he's going to the ground, so he has to hold on to the ball through hitting the ground. When the ball comes out, that's incomplete. It's not a fumble. It's not forward progress stopped. See, you stop the progress of a runner. And that was where I finally identified in the rule book the key word that makes what I believe was a touchdown wrong from that Eagles-Cowboys game. The play is over when the runner is down by contact. You're not a runner until you've completed the act of catching the pass. It's that simple. Cortland Sutton did not complete the act of catching the pass. And they come in and say forward progress stopped. How do you stop the forward progress of someone who has yet to complete the act of catching the pass? And look at it this way. If you stop his forward progress and he's only got two feet down, how has he completed the catch? You have to do something with the ball. If you stop his forward progress before he's caught the pass, there's no forward progress to be stopped. So that's where they blew this. And it was so quick. It was so decisive. There was no explanation. Where's Walt Anderson? <laughs> they, they dropped him out of nowhere two weeks ago. Drop him out of nowhere for this and explain it because that should have been incomplete. It should have been fourth and four, and the Broncos would have either gone for it or tried a field goal. That's how that should have played out, I firmly believe. Well, you know what's interesting, Mike? The way it played out, uh, it was exactly the way I thought it was going to be played out, which is that they called forward progress had been stopped. And so I guess that is what makes it messy because, look, the, the way I view the play is Sutton catches the ball. Play it again, please. Right? Play it again while he's explaining. I want to see yeah. this while he's talking about it. Yeah, because the, the way I view it is, look, you have the pass here and Sutton catches the ball, boom, and he is in front of that first down marker, and then he puts the ball away, and then once his butt's down, then the ball gets ripped out. And so if the ball gets ripped out there, when forward progress would put him past the first down marker, which is where he caught it, and then he gets hit and is driven back, because he gets caught and then he gets hit and driven back, and it's so fast that it doesn't necessarily look that it's like enough time for him to really put that thing away. But I think it's because the ball gets ripped out by Rasul Douglas. Once he's pushed Cortland Sutton back a little bit farther, that is kind of the problem there with calling it not forward progress like that. So that's where I viewed it. And but he hasn't completed the catch. He hasn't completed I, the catch. That's the problem. I think he completes he it there. He I, hasn't completed mm. the catch. How? How? He has to, he's going he's, to the ground. He has to hold possession. Even if it's being ripped out, it doesn't matter how you lose possession. If you're going to the ground when you're catching the ball, to the ground you've got to hold on tackled? to it through. Well, what's See, the I, difference? That, that's what was the Luke Scudamaker like, doing? He was going if to the ground. If you're going to the ground, you're going to the ground. You're going to the ground. But you're going to the ground. You're still going to the ground. The way, let, hang on a second. Hang the on. The ground can't cause Time a fumble. That's you're you're mixing rules on me, Miles. You're moving the goalposts. Okay. The rule's okay. very simple, Al- although it's not simple. But there are three steps to completing a catch. One, you get two hands on it. Mm-hmm. Two, you get you get two feet down or some other body part down. But the third act, 
is that thing that was confusing for years. It got less confusing when they put in the ability to take the third step. That, because that, that gives you an objective way in a lot of cases to know the guy's made the catch because he took the third step. We don't get into mm-hmm. football moves. We don't get into tucking the ball or reaching with the ball or having the time to do it. If you're going to the ground before you get to step three, you've got to hold possession of the ball. That's the key here. And I'll agree, it was more clear with Schoonmaker's play, Cowboys-Eagles, but whether you're being tackled or whether you're diving, laying out, falling on the sideline, whatever, if you hit the ground before you've completed that turn up field, that third step, that football move, you've got to hold on to the ball. That's the point. He didn't hold on to the ball. Whether it was ripped, there's nothing in the rule book about it being ripped out. You've got to maintain sure. possession. It's the way they it's the way they supplement what otherwise would be the third step of taking the literal third step or turning upfield with the ball or tucking it away and making the football move. If you if you just hit the ground, you've caught it, but you have to hold on to it. That's a key. You've got to hold on to it. And this goes all the way back to Calvin Johnson, all the way back to Bert Emanuel where this mess got started. But I think that it was just too rushed last night. It was too quick. He didn't have the ball long enough. It wasn't a fumble. It wasn't a catch, but you know what? It doesn't matter because it was ruled a catch. They were given a first down. They scored the touchdown and set the stage for the nuttiness that we spent most of the first hour talking about. We'll take a break. More PFT Live right after this. Are you as a head coach starting to feel pressure? Here's the best way to answer that. No, in terms of like worrying about everything, you know, outside of your control right I mean that and I'll say this like in professional sports like don't don't go and get into professional sports if you if you're worried about that so I mean that's just the truth I mean that's kind of your your life philosophy that's why I think this game is so uh is awesome and it's kind of the, the old Latin phrase I'm I'm more fate you know what I mean like the love of your fate because I think if you look like life like that that's what you step into these things and um that took four years of Latin, so a bunch of that. There's some teachers that are going to be pretty mad at me from 20-something years ago. Sorry. But that's really the gist of it. And it's kind of how you approach life, and that's what you love this game. And I love the opportunity that I get to do this, and I get to work with the guys we got. And if you think if you lose that perspective, shame on you. And uh, you embrace it. The good, the bad, the pressure. That's what you want. That's what you sign up for. Hey, look, Arthur Smith gets it. You either get fired now or you get fired later. Very few coaches walk away on their own terms. Very few. Very few get to retire and walk off. And says, look, we're talking about with Bill Belichick. Exactly. And at any given time, you're one bad season away from being the guy who's no longer a head coach. Their passion for it causes them to just accept that goes with the territory. There's the ultimate accountability of winning and losing. And at some point, your ownership group is going to decide to make a change if you can't win. And now all of a sudden, the Falcons are having a hard time winning. And Arthur Blank had been very patient. The team had been 7-10 and 10 each of the last two years. It's kind of been like this vibe that the Falcons aren't good. They have been on the fringes of contention each of the last two years. This was the year they were supposed to take the next step, though. And it looked like they were going to couple of ugly losses in a row games they could have slash should have won 
They lose to the Vikings, lose to the Cardinals. And, yeah, they got an issue. And I think Arthur Smith does have to be concerned. Is he concerned? Concerned like he's going to go hide under his bed? No, because he knows how this goes. He knows how this might end. You play a game, you either win it or you lose it. And this is a broader selection of games that go into the mix. But at the end of the day, you get your report card. And you either stay or you go. And we'll find out. They've got seven games left to turn it around. And we'll see. We'll see. Will they stay or will they go? And a lot of it depends upon what they do moving forward. And one of the issues, they enter their bye week now with Taylor Heineke has a hamstring injury. Desmond Ritter had kind of been soft benched earlier. Ritter came back to finish the game. Smith says it's premature to name a starting quarterback. They're kind of in the same spot the Patriots are in. Like, they got to figure it out. They don't want to do musical chairs. He said that. What are they going to do? Well, it depends on whether or not Heineke's healthy. Hamstring injury needs time. Heineke's a mobile guy. It may just be Ritter because Heineke's injured. You know, it was Ritter soft benched with concussion symptoms that wasn't a concussion, and now it may be Ritter gets another chance because Heineke's got the hamstring. But the reality is probably not smart to bring him back. Depending upon the degree of the strain, it takes time for that to heal. Well, it does, and I think they also want to give Ritter every opportunity that they can just to see what they have because it didn't look good for Desmond Ritter over the first stretch of the season, and that's why he got benched, right? And the good thing about Arthur Smith being in the NFC South is that, look, they're in the NFC South, and that right now is the worst division in football, and it's really up for grabs for the top three teams in that division. I mean, the Saints are in first place at five and five right now. The Bucks are at four and five after ending their losing streak. Now the Falcons are four and six entering their bye. I mean, any one of those teams can end up a division winner. And, <laughs> you know, we talk about the Bills earlier, the fact that they had five conference losses. Man, wouldn't they love to be in the NFC South right now? Because good Lord, the outlook on the season would be a lot different for them. So that's what, is the benefit for the Falcons, right? Any one of those top three teams can win that division. If Desmond Ritter reacts well to the soft benching, comes back in, plays all right, you know, gets the ball to guys like Drake London and Kyle Pitts, and they get Bijan Robinson going in the second half of the season, then maybe we're feeling a little bit different about the Atlanta Falcons. But, like, I don't know, man. That That's not it, – it's just one of those teams where it's like, they could do it. They could not do it. I could see anything happening basically within all of those teams in the NFC South going forward. Well, except the Panthers. Now, here's the reality. Yes. Here's the sad reality. Between the Saints, the Bucks, and the Falcons, one of those teams is going to host the Eagles or the Cowboys in the wild card mm-hmm. round. Yes. And, and by all rights should get killed – And if they win, it will be horribly unfair. It's got shades of Seahawks Saints. Remember that? The Beastquake run? The Saints had a better record. They shouldn't have had to go to Seattle and play in that environment that year. So Dallas or Philadelphia is going to be going to the Superdome or the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If New Orleans wins that division and you have to go in there to play them for a playoff game, that's just unfair to the better team that will be the five seed. Horribly unfair to them, but I'd like to think this year both the Eagles and the Cowboys are good enough to make fairly quick work of the Saints wherever they might play them. Let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. We spent plenty of time talking about one of Cortland Sutton's catches last night. Here's the far more 
impressive one. At the sideline in the end zone, falling out of bounds, makes the catch, drags the right toe, left foot planted as close as it could be to the white stripe, the right toe drag, holds on to the ball when he hits the ground, and of course the officials looking right at it didn't know what the hell they saw, which is another reason why they need to revolutionize the entire officiating function. I don't expect someone to stand there and see it and process it and get it right. I love it when one of the officials goes to the other and basically says, tell me what I just saw. Because that was, I think that was the interaction. The guy looking right at it turned and went to somebody else and was like, oh, you, you tell me what it was. But it's good that they have replay available. And that was, that was a great usage of the automatic fourth down review. Sean Payton didn't need to challenge it. Yeah. So it was something that was done without anyone activating the process because it was a fourth down play. But Excellent catch by Cortland Sutton. According to Next Gen Stats, it had the lowest completion probability of the entire Next Gen Stats era. 3.2% was the completion probability for that. When he threw it, I just thought, I didn't, I thought, you you know, it's like watching a baseball game. You tell when the ball's coming off the bat, you have a good idea where it's going. When that ball came out of his hands, I thought this thing's like not quite front row, but I thought that thing has no chance at all. Unbelievable by Cortland Sutton to make that catch. You know how you can tell that it was completed in some of the... The Bills were not giving very hearty, incomplete signs, you know? Like, a lot of times when defensive backs are like, no, 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 that's an incomplete pass, that's an incomplete pass. The Bills were barely given that incomplete signal. It was, like, half-hearted. Like, "Ah, I think it's incomplete. Please let it be incomplete. Because they knew he actually had control of the ball as he went to the ground. So it was, oh, no, did he actually drag that toe or not? And he did. And that was just an unbelievable job of making that catch. Because, I mean, as you look at it on the TV copy, you're kind of like, I don't know. Like, did he make the catch? Did he not? But then it was very, very, very clear as you just look at the replay. He's got the one foot planted and the other foot drags. And it just was one of those catches that you just have to really tip your cap because it's an unbelievable effort by him and this is why you know uncertain plays or you look at quarterbacks and you're just like man why don't you just give your guy a chance that's why you give your guy a chance because even if it is the most improbable completion that has happened in the next gen stats era it can be completed if you give your guy a shot and those uh toxic rubber pellets from ground up tires do come in handy Mm -hmm. at times because they they help confirm that that toe did indeed drag the turf at uh, the stadium in Buffalo. So great catch by Sutton. And it was just one of those moments where it's like, I think the the Broncos, like they can, they can really do this. Like I spent most of the game trying to convince myself the Broncos could do this because I just think this is the night for the Bills to assert themselves. That's what makes Mm -hmm. it all so disappointing. It shouldn't have been as close as it was. It shouldn't have come down to, weirdness here weirdness there even if they'd won the game it would have been a disappointing vibe in the aftermath this was an opportunity for them to remind themselves and everyone else that they still can do the things that we saw them do week two week three and week four and it may be that the best thing they can hang their hat on from this season is 48 to 20 week four over the miami dolphins somehow that team we saw last night would probably not beat the dolphins 48 to 20 if they played again tomorrow and they will play again in week 18 Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. What's 
statement are you making about the kind of receiver you are in this game? I'm one of the ones. I'm the top receiver in this game. And there's no question about it. If there is, I'll see y'all again next week. C.D. Lamb making the statement he's the best receiver in football. Look, I don't expect any great receiver to say I'm number three. That's just the way it goes. You have to have confidence. You have to have hubris. You have to have delusion. You have to believe in yourself to go out there every week and take the risks that you take and put yourself in a position to do those great things. But he has done something historic, Miles. Three straight games with 10 or more catches and 150 or more receiving yards. He's the only player since at least 1970, since the merger, to pull that off. That's impressive to have that many catches, that many yards, week in and week out. It shows that the Cowboys have finally taken your advice. Mm-hmm. It, sh- it definitely has. Yes, after that Chargers game that they played out here where C.D. Lamb caught all seven of his targets, I'm like, well, if he's catching that many, then they need to get him the damn ball more. And lo and behold, what have they done but get C.D. Lamb the same ball? Uh, get C.D. Lamb the damn ball, right? Uh, and I, I like that. That's something they need to do. Is he the best receiver? I'd put him behind Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown. But if he keeps playing games like this, he's certainly going to be in that mix. And I don't mean to leave Jamar Chase out of there, Steph Diggs, all those guys, they're terrific. There's so many really good receivers in the league right now. But C.D. Lamb is certainly one of them. And I've been going back to his days at Oklahoma. I've always felt like he's got this potential. Now he's showing it. 11 catches, 151 yards, and a touchdown on Sunday at home against the Giants. Not the most impressive stat line we've seen in Cowboys Stadium, although it was the other stadium. And the 25th anniversary is coming up of the Randy Moss Thanksgiving game in 1998, Miles. (laughs) Three catches, 163 yards, and three touchdowns. The all-time great receiving line. Yeah, you'd like to see more receptions. No, maybe not. If every catch goes for a touchdown and you turn three catches into 163 yards, you're having a hell of a day. Especially on Thanksgiving when you know every single living room in America is tuned in to you and watching you. That's pretty damn good. I remember that day very well. I don't know whether or not you do because you were seven years old. That's it for today. (laughs) Have a great Tuesday. See you tomorrow morning. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.